where it was a joke about a family member being murdered. I'm glad you started the record on this. Um, I don't know. I just take a joke. That's what I wrote in my notes. So Nick, so we're clear. You wanted us to start, begin our podcast with some lighthearted humor about a family being murdered. Is that correct? I don't know anymore. I just don't know. Let's get into it. We we will have a bit of murder to cover on this episode. Interesting. Oh, yeah, we will. I was like, what are you talking about? (laughs) No, not the children's book adaptation I watched. By the way, as of the end of this episode, we are still at a Dern kill count of three. At the end of the previous episode. No, this episode. She doesn't kill anyone in... Um, oh, you didn't watch the director's cut? Oh, no. Yeah, we'll get into it. Okay. The director's cut of Goose that was eight minutes long and stuff. <laughs> and then the Goose murders everybody. <laughs> oh, also, uh, sorry, Max. Um, the listeners don't know this, but we do. Last night I might have gotten a little fun while making dinner, and I kind of forgot about this whole recording thing, so we had to push it off a day. It's true. Thank you. I'm glad that you did that publicly. That's of course, I felt honorable and noble. Oh no! But yeah, and fortunately, it happened because, as you're about to talk about, because if we had recorded it last night, we would have missed right around 10 p.m. last night. Laura Dern posted on Instagram. And now you'll have to bear with me, listeners, because I forget what happened. Um, (laughs) Except that she was given something. It's by her friend. By her friend. She is is wearing a beautiful set of pajamas. They are uh, white. They look silk or linen or something with like... With red stripes, they look super vintage. It's a lovely uh, top two-piece pajama set. They look extremely comfortable. Uh, and they were given to Laura Dern by Robin Wright, formerly Robert, Robin Wright Penn. And that's just a beautiful thing. I love, you know, we've talked a bit about kind of the public persona of Dern and if in fact she is kind of this sweet and caring woman that she appears to be and I hope she is um and then like that she has these friendships with people like Robin Wright also she's doing a lot of charity stuff right now with um feeding people um helping service workers I think I was scrolling through Instagram I didn't read into it too much but she has a few things going they're like collecting boxes of things for people and stuff like that that's nice but also like every celebrities do it like yeah. I would almost, almost props to like whichever like big name celebrity right now is like, nah, I'm not doing any charity shit. <laughs> no, I feel like with Dern, it's a little more um, genuine. Yeah, it'd be funny if someone's like, all right, yeah, I'll start my own like podcast uh, while I'm home, just, you know, without work. Um, but people have to pay me for it. <laughs> it's like Patreon only. None of this goes to charity. I will test every Patreon giver over $100 personally. I will come to your house and give you the COVID test. (laughs) But it was nice to see. You know, they're just like us, but with nicer pajamas at the end of the day. Honestly, she looks like a a podcast pajama ad. She does, yes. Like those things that only sell through podcasts, like Casper mattresses and... um, 
Is like, there a pajama one yet? I know there's like me undies, which is there, you know, I, pajama Jason. Like I've heard of like a sleepwear company doing podcast ads. I just couldn't remember where or what it was. Um, but if you're listening, sleepwear companies, always always looking for a sponsorship here. If you want to do a little thing with us, I tagged her last week. She didn't respond. Yeah, she's been uh, she's been slow getting back to us. Yeah, you know, ever since the last few weeks, she just kind of dropped off. Maybe she's embarrassed. <laughs> what would she be embarrassed about? Because she kind of, like, left us on the hook so many times. That's true. She kept saying she was going to do it. She was really sincere. And then she's kind of flaky. And maybe that, you know, no one's perfect. And I, I think I know some flaky people who it's not, not um, coming from a malicious place. Uh, so maybe Dern's just a little little bit of a space cadet. She said she'd do the pod, and she did not. I just checked our Twitter, because I don't check it very often. I tagged that um, author who you slandered last week. Oh, AV Club. Yeah, um, Jesse, what's his face? He said, um, oh man, 90-minute podcast episodes. Who are you guys? Me? And then he said, I'll be combing this for reference to myself after I'm done playing virtual bar trivia. We also got Fuck a few him. followers. We're getting out there. Hey, he's a <laughs> nice guy. <laughs> I know, but like, I have to defend but are, we, are we gonna like, you know, get a feud or like a friendship here? Like Jesse, know. I'm sure you're a great guy. I, I hope you are as enthused about Dern as we are, but fuck you. Like that's <laughs> for, the, for the listeners, you know? Let's you're our healer. When we have to Dr. Phil with you and him when we do our episode with him, I'll be the moderator. You two will just be, f- he'll be talking like a normal person. You'll just be Can funny. I be like a slutty teenage girl? If, if, that, if that gets you off, I guess. <laughs> Those are the best Dr. Phil episodes. <laughs> the slutty teenage girl episodes. Mm-hmm. By the way, I yeah, was watching- so we, I'd love to have him on, but like. I will, I'll treat him the way I treat David Lynch movies. Um, of course. I'm not going to hold back <laughs> about that. that. Arbitrary hatred is a big economy on this podcast. Yes. <laughs> it's really my bread and butter. <laughs> um, I was walking in the woods the other day and I saw, it's like woods behind my house. I've been walking in them my entire life. And I saw this like tarp thing that was clearly just garbage, like wrapped in dirt. And I thought of the movie Shortcuts, and I was like, what am I going to do when I find this body right now? Fortunately, it was Did wasn't. you have a camera? I had a phone. I actually know I had... Did you have a tackle box? I had two film cameras on me, like the ones they had in the movie. I, <laughs> I could have done it. Yeah. And when, when you said tarp in the woods, I'm glad your mind went exactly where I think most reasonable people's minds would go. And it's like, oh, that's just a dead body. <laughs> well, yeah. what that's a corpse. You just call it in. You don't even lift the tarp. You're like, I don't want to dilute the crime scene. That'd be horrible. Just call it and be like, yep, there's a dead body out here. And do it anonymously. Like, I don't want to get... A naked young woman. She got hacked up to bits. (laughs) Her head's gone, but you know. (laughs) I don't want to get her hands dirty. Probably what's under the tarp. I'm just here. Oh, um, no, that was it. Never mind. Sorry, I made... Cool, let's talk about Darren. Yeah, what's up with her? How's she doing? Um, well, let's talk about her. You, know, you want to talk about her movies? Oh, yeah, she was in movies, wasn't she? Yeah, she was in, well, should we do a, hey. a big turn? Whoa. I wonder if that'll come through because we're doing it through Zoom. 
I <laughs> wonder if it'll start sounding good now that we're recording virtually. I meant like, what like, if I wonder if that's going to be as grating to the listener's ear as it had been before. End of listener. Your birthday episode was a big hit, by the way. Was it? Yeah, did pretty well. If I can get one person watching shortcuts, <laughs> I'll I'll die happy. One Me, other person. <laughs> yeah, thanks, Nick. I don't want to die yet. I tr- well, we'll see. I've <laughs> <laughs> been reading a lot of Stephen King. I have some ideas now. Yeah, you want to talk King? Should we? Um, we can we talk in the middle. I have some other wait. stuff. We daring up. We haven't yeah. dared in a while. For now, yeah, it's been a while since we've done a real Dern, and I'm going to be talking about Lonely Hearts. It's a movie. It's true, and I also watched this movie. I'll I'll let you lead, but I'll follow. Thank you. Feel free to interject. It's a 2006. I will. Movie. I interrupt the hell out of you. <laughs> it's a neo noir film. It got a generally like 50-50 mixed review kind of thing. Um, the cast is very good. It's uh, John Travolta, James Gandolfini, uh, uh, the bad Joker guy, Jared Leto, Selma Hayek. You say that like he's not a great actor. I mean, Jared I don't know. Leto's great. You're too young for my self. I feel like he's a creep now. Go ahead. Cl- clack away. I gotta clack away. I gotta make sure I got that right because my sister will be so pissed. With this um... It was a good popcorn movie. In fact, I ate popcorn while watching it. Um, it opens real good, like real hard nostalgia, a nice like 1940s, like, I don't know, like um, Shawshank Redemption kind of song. Um, and yeah, you see like news clippings, old timey kitchen equipment. It's very good. Like you, it really gets you there, which is good because the whole movie, the whole, the settings are really nice. The clothing, how they talk and just like, everything is very spot on. You don't like, there's no, nothing big that sticks out like a wrong watch or like a 2004 Toyota pickup truck in the back. It feels, it, it's a very well-made period piece in that regard. And something I noticed, um, it mainly had bad reception because it got a very limited release. It barely played in any theaters. It made under a million dollars in Canada, just over two in America. Yeah, it was shocking. I did not expect to... Once I found out there was a John Travolta movie from the 2000s that I had never heard of, I did not expect to enjoy it. Yeah, and it was, I did. I thought it was good. It was like it a was. nice, it was a nice had that like, that voice the whole time, like music was there all the time, that real dramatic like, ah, stuff. Love that. Oh, and uh, John Travolta's wife kills herself within the first three minutes of the movie. Yeah, and so that was a little qualm. That sort of that was, yeah, they're just kind of like doing, you could tell it's like sort of dark and noir-y, but it's like shots interspersed with like regular people living and then like, yeah, it's ominous. And you like know, as like, it goes on, the some of the snapshots become like crime photos and they become like a gra- more graphic, like yeah, murders. Yeah, like a newspaper article like or she, something. Like, it's like a woman making the cake and it says happy anniversary. It's real pretty. And like she takes her like at her um, family album out. She puts a ring on it. And then she goes upstairs and Kablooey. yeah, but about that, right? So she shoots herself, which yeah, that, that is a way to kill yourself. She shoots herself in the bathtub. Yes. Do you suppose that she was all out of razor blades? 
I mean, maybe she went up and she just had her gun on her like she always does. And she was going to just shave real quick before her anniversary dinner. And then she just saw she was out and said, well, that's the last straw. Oh, so she she was going to shave in the bathtub, not kill herself (laughs) with razor blades in the bathtub. I just think bathtub suicides are are kind of like... She's looking at like the razor blade container in her bathroom and there's just a gun instead. She's like, well, (laughs) (laughs) oh, Max, you never cease to amaze me. Um, (laughs) So yeah, such disdain. She's gone. Uh, Let's bump up to three years later. Uh, We see John Travolta and James Gandolfini in Sing Sing prison, which is a famous prison that doesn't exist anymore. In upstate New York. It doesn't, right? It's not open. Or is it? Uh, I don't know. Yeah, it was, I don't think it is. It's one of those, like, like notoriously yeah, monsters. Yeah, sounds like a place that, like, prison. should... Now yeah. we have different monstrous prisons that, like, we don't know the names of yet. Yeah. Because we haven't made those movies yet, but, like... Oh, no, it's still open. Oh, good. Yeah, it still holds 1,700 prisoners. Hey, I hope they're having a good time. Been there since 1826. Wow. An old prison. That's an old prison for a Yeah, that'd be like if an Eastern State was still running. Oh wait, two thousand. It looks like it's open, but there's also like a museum there you can visit. That's that weird. sounds more like Eastern State. It does, but I think it's you, still- you can go to an active prison m- museum. Yes, which is a great museum. I work there sometimes for part of the year. Nick is referring to Eastern State Penitentiary in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Yeah. Philadelphia, the city of angels. Mm-hmm. The city of a very iconic prison. Yes. Real game changer, that ESP. It was, the Panopticon, that whole thing. It was, Yeah, wasn't that created as like a theory, like a philosoph- thought experiment? And yeah. then they were like, yeah, let's make a prison that's like that. That it was where like, people feel completely watched at all times by it's everyone like, and are powerless to, they to have, control. They have like no, they're, they never pretty much see outside of their cell. They have absolutely no contact with people. And the whole thing was like penitentiary was to be penitent. Like it was just like to suffer and sit there and do nothing and get better, which isn't how it works. Oh, that's why it's called the penitentiary. Yes. Wow. You're learning something. Today on Nick's prison facts. Jeez, they should make me tour guide. Anyway, so. <laughs> Um, three years later, Sing Sing, John, we find out. Real we, quick, listeners, make it happen. Start, yeah. just, just start <laughs> tweeting at Eastern State Penitentiary. Alrighty, so we got, deserves it. we got Tony Soprano. He is going to be our narrator. By Tony Soprano, I mean James Gandolfini. I just, I call people names. It, they, everybody's here. I also, I call people names sometimes. He's got real good, like, hard-boiled cop noir vibes. He's real mad. He, like, he's slick. He takes things. He, like, he knows what's going on. Yeah, yep. I, feel, I feel like, honestly, you don't really need to explain it with yeah. James Gandolfini as a neo-noir cop or police detective because that's what it is, right? He's, it's what it, whatever the listener is picturing, it's like, yep, you got it. He's great. Yeah, and honestly, like, Gandolfini and Travolta are two of the most like ham-like men that exist. They are large men. I forgot how large and like broad-shouldered Travolta is, especially in these like 40s suits where so they're cool. just two hulking men. 
two heart attacks waiting to happen. <laughs> Speaking of which, rest in peace, Mr. Gandalf. Yeah, he got there. Man, he could have been on this episode. <laughs> so John that Travolta, was the saddest part about him dying. Yeah, he could have been on our podcast, but not more. Anyway, John Travolta, he's been working the desk ever since his wife died because he just it was too much for him. It affected his relationship with his son. It was just a real mess. And uh, that's when we get introduced to Jared Leto's character, Ray. He is a con man. He wears a wig. He's, he's got uh, a, it's a toupee. Fine, fine. He wears a toupee. He's a very slick man. He does a thing called lonely heart scams, which is basically when you write old older women and widows and single women who put things in like personal publications, magazines, newspapers, and you pretty much con them for money. Yeah, so back then it was like, that was known as Lonely Hearts, right? If you wanted to write, it's like instead of like Craigslist casual encounters, you had Lonely Hearts. And it was these sort of, yeah, places for people to find love. It was the grinder of heyday. (laughs) And... Yeah, so his scam, basically, he's a beautiful man. Yes, he um, is, like, Rudolph Valentino, so slick, suave, debonair. Yes, he's, like, just an absolute charmer. He's just the slickest con man of them all until, yes. but we'll get there. Um, yeah, we will. I, I'm, I'm going to try to go in order this time. I know last week we kind of bumped around, but that's because you made me watch a... Yeah, there is no order to short. cheese of a movie. Yeah. So he's he's just this slick con man. He he tries to sniff out the rich ones, the widows maybe, um, and gets them to fall in love with him because they're lonely and he's charming and good looking. And, and like as time progresses, I think it's interesting that in this movie, it like you know that the cops know the whole time. Like it's not a mystery. They pretty much know it's Ray and they're following him. It's kind of like a Bonnie and Clyde thing instead of like a Buffalo Bill thing. It's interesting. Right. Yeah, well, at first they don't, but then they get there, which is... Yeah, like, like, they, like, before halfway in the film, they know it's Ray, and they're pretty much looking for him, and him and his soon-to-be-introduced partner are, like, on the run. Kind of on the run, but also still doing what how, they... How soon-to-be-introduced, Nick? Well, l- let me get to Dern first. Laura Dern's in this movie. She works in the office that John Travolta works in, and they're friends. And that's all we know. Are they only friends? Uh, So far, they're only friends. Okay. Um, I will say one thing I liked in the opening credits. Yeah. You get all these bigger names because Dern's just a supporting character, but she's like the last name and it's like, and Laura Dern. (laughs) It's like the neighbor on a sitcom. Introducing Laura Dern. Featuring Laura Dern. And she, you know, she's real pretty. It's a pretty recent movie. She looks like herself. You know, um, she's like, what does she sound like, Nicholas? Oh, crap. I don't know. I know it didn't stick out. Oh, man. To me, this is quite magical. Because we've what gotten some Southern Dern. We've gotten some Country Dern. We've gotten some sort of is this Middle like America New- Dern. We get Long Island, New oh, York man. Dern. I think I was, I was just so in the story immediately that I didn't even notice she was doing Long Island. That's great. Oh, yeah. And she's pretty good. And I will, like... I will note, this movie is, a, is not just a Long Island movie, me as a Long Islander. It is a Nassau County movie. And there, is ne- there are never movies that, like, the locale <laughs> is Nassau County, broadly. Like, that doesn't happen. Well, when you're doing a true story about con artist love murders, 
where else can you go but Nassau? True. I didn't know this story at all. It's fascinating. Like, like New York. I used to work at the right next to that police station. Nice. I feel like that's the Nassau County like film board's slogan. <laughs> so, you want to do a film about murder? Come to Nassau County. Come to Nassau County. Well, yeah. Suffolk County has all the dead hookers. I wouldn't know. <laughs> You're an expert, I guess. <laughs> on Long Island? Yeah, I'm a Long Islander, Nick. Yeah. I like Billy Joel, and Good I know dad. about dead hookers. That's it. <laughs> Billy Joel has murdered more than one woman in his life. Anyway. That's not what I said. Well, that is the official that statement. That statement is not the stance of turn after reading podcast. <laughs> Okay, Salma Hayek comes in. He is one of many in the line of um, Jared Leto's con love interests. And, you know, they, she kind of, she lays it on pretty thick and they like do a thing in a hotel room that I assume is sex. Yeah, that's sex. That, that was sexual intercourse. We see them go up and then we see him going through her purse and he finds an unemployment check and he's like, I got to get out of here. But also he kind of maybe likes her. So he says like, I'll meet you later. And he leaves, and then we realize she's a con man, too, because she, like, reads a thing in the paper, and it happened to be where he was going to try to weasel some money out of, a like, an executive widow's wife. Yeah, and so he gets she punched sees, out there. That was a clever little, a clever, like, catch on her part that she knew he was a con man. She could smell it on him. He was too slick. And... And she knew, I think she, she planted the unemployment check for him to take. Probably. And because she, she gets it back from him. And she sees in the newspaper that like a rich ball bearing <laughs> businessman died. Which and I, so she goes to the funeral knowing she'd find him trying to con the, the wealthy widow there. And I think it is so crazy that like she coincidentally picks up the newspaper, it's folded and just the first thing she reads is the thing <laughs> and she just knows to go there. Like that feels a little much, but. Yeah, but like she it. got there. He's and smart. I will say the way I said that Jared Leto is like this suave, beautiful, like just charming person. Like, that all gets instantly dwarfed by those characteristics in Salma Hayek. It's, like, obscenely gorgeous. She, like, is dressed like a bombshell at all (laughs) times, which makes the rest of the story quite funny in a lot of ways. Uh, But, like, she comes in and she sort of, she she comes across as the better con artist, right? And, like, she's, he's maybe not really as confident in himself as he like presents himself when she gets involved. And like, I think they realize instantly like that first con they do at the cemetery that like they work much better together, which is a thing that's going to get undone later, but like, we'll, we'll get there. Yeah. We got a dead broad. That's where we're at. Dead lady, (laughs) real pale. They find her in a bathtub. She's all bloody. She has slit wrists, but like, it's really. Cause that's how you. Well, you kill yourself in a bathtub. I I don't know. <laughs> I'm just saying. I guess it's easier to clean. <laughs> um. So yeah, pretty much at this point, this whole movie is a Tom Waits song come to life. <laughs> we got like a con artist couple. We got a cop with a dead wife who killed herself. We got James Gandolfini there. <laughs> we got the cop noir. It's just, it seems like a, jo- a Tom Waits ballad come to life. It's really good. Um, John Travolta decides to get back to policing, being a detective, a private dick. 
not a private dick, a public dick, I guess. And uh, he's like, I need to solve these murders because they know something's up. And then they find out it's Rob later, but we'll get there. But, well, everyone, it's thought that this woman killed herself. That's the, like, that, that was the goal, to make it look like that. But they realize that isn't right. And they find, well, like... They well, find I think for the sake of character, why... Do you recall why they realized it wasn't right? Well, that's a good question. I'll, she, I'll, I'll just give it to you if you want. No, no, no. She was, like, she was rich. She didn't have any enemies. She was pregnant. Um... Was there something else that I'm missing? John Travolta. Because John Travolta this whole time has been, had this grief this morning, this unresolved oh. grief about his wife who killed herself. I got and you. he wants to believe that she didn't kill herself. Yes. He, he, you know, he is stunned beyond belief. He, it's like fractured his relationship with his son. And so he, he wants desperately to for this woman who has now died in this bathtub uh, in an apparent suicide, he wants to wants it to be the case that she was murdered, and he's, like, willing to entertain that idea in ways that the rest of the cops are not. And, yeah. in fact, the only reason they get called to the scene is because there's, like, the one asshole cop. God, I hate him. He's oh, just I love him. Scott Kahn, James Kahn's kid. Uh. <laughs> And you guys know him. I didn't realize how short he was. He's a, he's a little man. When they're all standing together and he's like visibly Yeah, too- when he's next to John Travolta and James Gandolfini, <laughs> he's a tiny, tiny man. He looks like a little wrestler. And he's, he's just like unnecessarily piece of shit to these guys. And like they eventually becomes the kind of ribbing, but it's like, it's real fucked up. He's just like, I'm going to antagonize the police detectives for no, like, clarified reason to the point that he's, like, mocking John Travolta for his wife killing herself. Honestly, he's just like, hey, your wife killed herself. But pretty much that's what he says. And, and, then, then, John- and then he says, and then he says right after that, John Travolta, like, you know, fronts about him like he's going to come after him. And he goes, he's not going to do, do anything. You know why? Because he's a fucking pug. Travolta, a fucking pug. Hey man, you mess with the bull, you get the horns. It's true. (laughs) Okay, so John Travolta and Laura Dern are having a love affair. Aw, that's nice. And like when it starts, I'm like, I'm not sure what's up because it seems kind of secret. They're meeting at night. He's leaving like in the middle of the night, and I was like, was he having a secret affair? Is that why his wife killed himself? And it's not. I'll just, I'll skip a little bit ahead. <laughs> he just started dating after his wife died and he's too like stuck up and emotionally repressed to talk to his son about it. So instead of talking to his son about having a girlfriend, he's just like, I'm just going to keep this a secret and emotionally ruin this woman I love and I'm seeing. I, I don't know. That feels like it might be overstating it. Like I it's know. like, I just like, like, like I was Jared so- doesn't seem like a broken woman because of this, but she wants him to commit and he has not committed. Like I was, I just obviously hung up. I built up so many things in my head because I thought like there was some evil angle to this relationship. And then we just find out that John Travolta just doesn't want to talk to his son. Yeah. I wanted, uh, I wanted a Dern body count or I thought, can I, well, I'll tell you what I thought would happen later. (laughs) Get into the, the action a bit more. Yeah. Alrighty. So wait, but before we do, I do want to point out one of my favorite things. You talked about how this was such a good 
like period piece and the, the decor, the, the scenes were all really 40s. Mm -hmm. The two characters to me that were just so perfectly 40s characters were John Travolta's son and his sister, who is his sister in real life. They were both, they looked, I'm like, this is what an Italian teenager and an Italian 48-year-old woman living in Valley Stream, New York in 1948 looked like. Like, I think I've seen the family photos of those exact people. The haircuts, the outfits, it's perfect. They literally just like sifted through the rejected Sopranos casting photos and just picked out two extra people. Yeah, more or less. Um, so yeah, Laura Dern's real tough. Um, John has a son. They seem pretty much at ends. They did, they kind of are always fighting at this point. Um, he apparently wrecked his car the other day, so John's upset. And you know, it's hard being a dad, especially in the 40s when you're a cop and you see awful stuff every day. Yeah, and then like John Travolta, his son comes home at like the crack of dawn. Yeah, they both come in. John Travolta's like, what, you been out drinking? You've been out boozing, like, whoa, and he, like, gets real angry in 40s, dad, like, he's gonna hit him. When, when he comes in, John says, where you been? And his son says, you first. <laughs> yeah, it's true, because he's good. been out, like, banging Dern and, like, repressing his emotions. His son? No. Wait, they were both there? I Nicholas. knew it. You know, they talked on the dock. I knew something was going on. Lonely hearts. They found I'm one sorry. another. And, like, the son was out working a paper route because he wanted to sell newspaper because he wanted to make money to pay back for his dad's busted fender. Cause he oh, he's a good car. boy deep down. He's a good boy. Yeah, he's got a good heart, that Eddie. I don't know his name, but it's probably Eddie. Probably. Anthony, Eddie. Yeah. He's something like that. So at this point in the movie, I realized John Travolta isn't a great actor all the time. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have a quote, but like he just said something in such a way, and I was like, he's not even trying. But I guess, like in a noir film, you just kind of have to be brooding, like a Humphrey Bogart type, and it works. And it did. I like this movie, even though John Travolta seems like he mailed it in once or twice. Yeah, I think I think he did fine, and his character had that depth of it was about him, like wrestling with his emotions and feelings at a time when that was difficult. Yeah. But let's get to some fucking murder. Oh, here. First, let's uh, get to some blowjobs uh, and murder. Really, the next thing. I have a note here about nudity, and it reminds me of last week. Um, this movie has some very, like, pale, soft-featured nudity that reminds you know, me of... <laughs> naked dead woman, like, yeah, like yeah, last week. Ophelia, like, super pale, kind of like, um, not midi, like, um, Renaissance painting style of, like... Right. Beauty in it's in the face, the adversion of like hard beat cop life and stuff. And I'm just like, huh, oh, that's a thing. That's art. Yeah, you made me realize that's a motif now. Now I notice it. I'm like, oh yeah, that is like. They make naked ladies. The super beauty of dead women. It's like, oh, this is fucked. Tom Waits. Anyway. <laughs> um, so we got Leda, we got Hayek. They're in a car. At this point, they're pretending to be brother and sister for the better of the con. And. Salma Hayek starts giving him a little uh, little blowy while he's driving in a stolen car. And you know what happens? They get pulled over right after he finishes. And the cop comes up and he says, is there a license and registration? Jared Leto's all defensive. He's like, ah, I wasn't even speeding. You know how you are when you're innocent. And um, 
So the cop takes the license. He goes back. And Jared says, man, we're going to get busted. And then Selma Hayek says, no, we're not. I'm going to bust him. So <laughs> she goes to his car and blows the cop. And then the cop just says, okay, have a nice day. And then they, he leaves. And then Selma Hayek takes a gun and holds it to Jared Leto's dick and basically says, if you ever actually love any of the people we're conning, or if you ever don't love me enough, I'll kill you. Yes, this is, this is our first is, glimpse it's, at, this is a very fucked up relationship. And I wouldn't even say the relationship, I would say just her. Like, she is so evil beyond need. Like, <laughs> And see, so we get, her. yeah, she, one, once again, she looks like the powerful one. And you think she's holding the cards, right? Where she's like, I'm going to do this. Two, this like obvious paradox or hypocrisy where she's like, love me and only me, but also I'm going to blow this cup. By the way, I wrote and does this crazy dick gun speech as my note for that. And I think that's pretty apt. <laughs> like my jaw dropped. I was like, what? what's going on? And the dick gun, it's like, so it's, he's wearing his pants and he's got the bulge and she's pressing a pistol just up against it. I mean, and we've all been it's there. It's intense. Ew. Oof. Woof. And the whole thing's kind of hot. A little bit. <laughs> I mean, yeah. So at this point in the movie, I'm getting real like crude, hot jazz vibes like Chicago. Like that musical, I'm getting real like guns, liquor, jazz. Oh wait, I wrote a quote she says in that that gundick scene. Oh, and it's, Don't forget who butters your bread. <laughs> she buttered two guys' bread that day. She did. Uh so uh yeah, raging jealousy apparently isn't great in a fake con couple. Who'd have thunk? <laughs> <laughs> Who'd have thunk that go over poorly with a fake brother and sister con artist team? Yeah, uh, can you can you get into that a bit? Which part? The brother-sister, the con. Oh, I mean, they're just, like, uh, the, the con they're running now, the con used to be that, like, he was meeting a woman, but he lo- he left his wallet and passport, so he needed money just to get back. And then he would dig from there. The new con is, um, he's writing women saying he wants to come marry them and basically just draining all their money. And I don't think he actually kills anybody until he meets Selma Hayek. I think before that, he was just do just robbing and leaving, and she's right. like, pushed him to kill the women. Yes. And, and this is a true story, by the way. The third film based on this story. Yes. Been- and so I my biggest issue with this movie was that I thought it was absurd beyond belief that these the two of them would do this together in this way. And one that like the con was relationships. But they were so, especially she was so intensely jealous and obsessed oh, yeah, with like, him. It's like, <laughs> well, that's dumb. Then why would you do that? Then why would you, like, help him orchestrate this thing where he has to sleep with these women and convince these women he loves them? And, like, every woman he just eats out front. It's crazy. Like, and, <laughs> and so there's that. And then if you're trying to pick up a lonely woman, right, if you're, like, you were trying to be this charmer. You know what might get in the way of that? If you're just like, hey, here's this like insanely <laughs> over-the-top gorgeous Selma Hayek. Here's my sister, Selma Hayek. Here's a, a femme fatale who has to be here. Like, you're a frumpy widow. She's a fucking femme fatale. And like, don't worry, I love you. Don't worry about her. 
Uh, um, so, little lull in this story, we see um, some father-son bonding with John Travolta and his son. They're wiping a boat. It's real good. That's what I wrote that tattoo. <laughs> that's, how you, that's how you let your son in in the 40s. Is like the son like comes over to talk and John Travolta like kind of brushes him off while he's working yeah. on the boat. But he's like, grab a rag. Yeah, he's like, yeah, what, 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 do some manual labor for me, son. He's like, really, Pop? It's the only it? All righty, back to the action. Um, Wait, can I, can I do one more non-action? Please. There's some good non-action. I hope you caught this. No, there is. <laughs> uh, it's when Travolta, Gandolfini, and little Scott Kahn oh, are like standing by the water at some point. I don't remember. It's part of their like, well, they're trying to. Yeah, they're like on the road running. Yeah. Stuff. <laughs> and Scott Kahn is like standing there, sort of in the background, and he's just like tossing a croquet mallet. And yeah. he throws it up, and it gets <laughs> caught in the tree. <laughs> and he's just sort of like, like a deer in headlights, and like walks away. That and was, it's like unaddressed, just this throwaway background bit. That was definitely not supposed to happen. He just messed up. <laughs> exactly. And they were like, whatever. No one's going to look. <laughs> so Selma Hayek kills a woman on top of Jared Leto. That was something. Well... She doesn't exactly kill the woman on top of Jared Leto. Well, yeah, no. She, which she, was a great reveal. He is inside of her. She is writing him, and uh, Selma Hayek takes a, ha- a claw hammer through the back of her head. Like, through. It comes out her face. Oh, I, I did not see that coming. <laughs> and so neither did she. She, like, she can hear them having sex through the wall, and she's like, oh, my lover is making love to another, even though it's part of the deal. But, like, she just loses it. She loses it. She freaks out. And so then she's like, she's on to, she like pushes this, this woman, this naked, presumably dead woman aside onto the floor and then gets on top of Jared Leto. And I think it was like another one of her intense. Oh yeah. She's like, I want you to finish. And if you're not thinking about me, I'll kill you. Oh, that's right. Like if I'll know if you're not thinking about me. And I was like, this is, she is like the driving evil force of this entire movie, basically. And then, and so then the camera pans at the end of the scene to the side of the bed, and the woman's alive, writhing on the floor in pain. Like, later they put her in a trunk, and she's still a little alive. She's still alive! It's dark. And, like, at this point, it's an inevitable dead end. Like, you know for sure the cops know. They're on the run. They've murdered people. Like, it's starting to get to it. Um... This is also when we find out that John was just worried about his son seeing Dern and being upset, which a little happens, but no more than is apt for, like, a, a son finding out his dad has his first girlfriend after the mom died. Yeah, it wasn't like... Like, Dern and the son have a talk later and everything's fine. Yeah, and I sort of like that that was almost a low-stakes thing because it yeah. was really all in John Travolta's head. It's like this nice relationship that people are going to support and like James Gandolfini is like, you know, you don't have to like hide this. Like he's like, it's and like, and like scene, you're allowed to like have a relationship three years after your wife dies. And that scene with like the doc talk is when we find out that he just didn't want to tell his son or, and didn't want to talk about it. And I was like, yeah, oh, that's when you get the reveal that it's like, it's everyone's like, Oh, well you should like, it seems like a nice relationship. You guys seem to like each other. Like honestly, James Gandolfini is like, He's like shrugging, like, what fucking doesn't matter? What? <laughs> exactly. Grow up, John Travolta. I feel like we all need a, a little James Gandolfini in our lives sometimes. He's grilling, he's got a little apron on. Yeah. Rest in peace. 
Alrighty, so uh, they move on to the next lady, and Jared Leto knocks her up. She's a nice um, European lady. She has an accent. She has a very cute daughter who Jared Leto gets along with really well. And uh, yeah, I had a feeling this wasn't going to go over very well. Uh, it didn't. Was it because they had already murdered several women? Well, you know, I thought that would cue you into that. She, you know, the, the woman who was pregnant says to Selma Hayek when Jared Leto was gone that she's like, hey, I'm pregnant. And I was like, ooh. <laughs> yeah, and so you get this, like, she, the the pregnant woman sort of confesses her love to, of Jared Leto to Selma Hayek and is like, you know, and, and she says she, she knows he's lying about stuff. She doesn't know, like, yeah. he's a straight up con man. She's like, I know he doesn't tell the truth, but, like, he's good to me and like you know like i i care about him and it seems like they might have a good thing and you almost want this happy ending to happen yeah and you're like it don't happen and then um jared leto comes home and she's like the pregnant woman is on the couch like she's been drugged or she's poisoned she can barely speak and then selma hayek makes him kill her she says she puts the his gun to her forehead and says like you can kill me but if you actually love me you have to kill her and then he shoots this pregnant woman. And it's yeah, real intense. that's fucking like, intense. Freaks out. And the daughter who's locked in the other room is screaming because her mom just got shot. And then, uh, then he leaves for a minute and he just like shoots a cop. He gets pulled over and just kills a cop in the middle of the road for no real reason. Cause, well, you know, he, no, because he's, he's like, it got radioed in. Yeah, he doesn't want to get caught. But also like, you know, at this point, I think he's just kind of jaded. Yeah. He knows he's going to get caught. It's endless. He might as well do whatever. Yeah. Point. And what, even after the cop, why not tack on one more completely useless death? Exactly. Um, at this point, Laura Dern is back. She says to John, I'm leaving town because I have no reason to stay, which is clearly she doesn't want to leave town, but like she's trying to like drop a hint, like you need to commit or I'm out of here. And he says like, okay, fine. Give me like three days. Don't leave. And then he leaves. And, uh, well, she even says she's like, she's like, make me stay or yeah. something. Yeah, and he, like, he's like, I'll, I'll do, I'll deal with it in a few days. I gotta go arrest a man and a lady. <laughs> yep. So then, uh, they're Jared Leto and Sam Hayek are now raising this kid, and they're they're just in like spree mode. Like, but they, you, you get the feeling they're raising this kid, quote unquote, for like maybe a day or a week. Yeah. Like, it's not like they have. The, very minimal they like pull up to a fruit stand and there's an old man with a dog and jared later says like i want to buy your dog and then he shoots the old man yep that wasn't like, of the kid nice. and they like buy the kid a bunch of stuff and she's not happy because her mom's dead and then there's like a scene where you can't hear anything but you see the kid screaming and it's just it's implied that some high drowns her like you don't see it but like you know all the it all the lines are there it just doesn't show the points so yeah drowns the kid Puts and her right, in a tricycle box. Yeah, and then uh, then they get caught. Cops show up. Uh, she doesn't really run. He tries to run. They find drying cement in the barn, which is where the mom is. They find the girl in the tricycle box. And um, they figure out that they've been cementing in the bodies in the old houses and stuff such like that. Yeah, so they, like, close the case on those, those, cr- those Long Island crimes. Yeah, and uh, we get to the confession scene. And it's, it's just, it's Selma Hayek and John Troll just talking to her and he's like, I'm not going to remember you, you're trash. We just want to help people get closure. 
and she like she pins a little more on Jared Leto than he did which at this point doesn't really matter they're both gonna fry but like she's so convinced that like what he did he did out of love for her and she like in no way manipulated him or did anything negative like it's so crazy I mean make no mistake he is a piece of shit oh yeah he's not a great guy (laughs) she definitely drive that point home and like it's just crazy how like once you get into that kind of thing, like, you have to live in delusion so hard, like she did. And even, like, all the way at the end, she's still, like, she smells, Ray gets the chair first, and then she smells him, and she's like, I smell him. He's so sweet. Like, she's just so far gone. <laughs> it's true. And one, and one bit that, reading about the real story, that I'm surprised they didn't include is that in, in real life, both of them profess their last words were professing love to the other one. Huh. And we got neither of them doing that. I mean, it's like, why wouldn't you include that? That's such like, I mean, Jerry Leto's just like crap in his pants the whole time. He doesn't say a word. And all she says is the thing about sweet meat smell. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. And then John, John quits. He says, I'm done with the force. I don't like who I am being a cop. I'm going to go be happy. And he is, he goes and marries, you assume he marries Dern, him, Dern, the son, go out on the boat they were working on earlier. And you know, for them, it was a happy ending. Yeah. It wasn't a happy ending for all the people that got killed, but you know, you no. can't it all. Well, I don't know. Maybe that woman had an orgasm. Right Wait, before the claw one? hammer to the back, of, like through, uh, the, through the brain. She might have. They, they she might have gotten one. She, she might have snuck one in there. Right under the bar. Well, that's my big dern. Good one. I would suggest it. Big dern. Big dern. What are we going to be between then? Between two Two derns. That was the worst one we've ever done. (laughs) Interstitials, man, I tell you. Your derns, man. You go first. (laughs) Um, Well, I'm going to... I'm going to keep it uh, on... I'm going to pull this up. This is something I learned about recently. So I haven't done much. It's quarantine time. Who does shit? I eat leftover birthday cake. I play Tetris. Um, and I go down Wikipedia rabbit holes. I've also this. And so one that this that I just read a couple weeks ago that this movie made me think of in a big way. Mm-hmm. Nick, do you know about the Philadelphia poison ring? Ooh, I've definitely heard of it, but I don't know that I don't know the nitty gritty. Uh, this I want this movie. Hey, AV Club guy, I like you can. I won't hate you as much if you want to like help us greenlight this. You know some people. Come on, come on, Jesse something or another. Jesse something. Let's do the Philadelphia Poison Ring movie. Yes, this. Okay, so in the 1930s, in South Philadelphia, yes. Um, there were a lot, and still are a lot, of Italians, mm, Italian-Americans. Yeah. Um, guineas. Nick, Nick, guineas, wops. I say that because I am one. Grease balls. Yeah, Nick and I both are, we have wop blood. We do. They, so in a, the nephew in Sopranos, he, there's a phrase he says, like, he said it like four times in the series so far. It's skinny guinea, referring to himself. And I'm really into it. <laughs> Nick's a skinny guinea. We're, both we're, we're a couple of Ginzas, a couple of skinny Gins. Um, but you guys can't say that. Don't fuck. That's ours. Yeah. 
And so our people, our people in the 30s in Philly, there's this, this group of like mobster criminals. There's one guy, or these two cousins, Herman and Paul Petrillo. Uh, yep, they were <laughs> counterfeiters, arsonists. Uh, they ran insurance scams. Real sweethearts. And, and one of them had a paid consultancy in La Fatura, which was one of several um, basically Italian superstitions. But the Italians, especially around this time, there there's a lot of superstition, a lot of like black magic kind of stuff. Um, one that may live on. Nick, do you know the horns? Yeah. Because I'm doing a horn symbol with my hands. You, you the index finger and pinky. Like uh, I know the I know the idea of it, but like it's escaped. Yeah. Me right oh, now. that's one I used to get as a kid. Um, the horns are Malachia is the evil eye, and um, the horns keep them away. So if you want to protect yourself from the evil eye, and evil eye is someone giving you a bad look and like putting putting a, a jinx on you, basically. You do the horns, you could shake them a little bit. Um, that's the only one I knew, but there were all sorts of, you know, these are almost like, these are very popular occult things. And there were a lot of people who were true believers in this kind of stuff. And so these guys, started up a a scam where they would get they would convince women italian women mm-hmm. who either were just super superstitious and into this kind of black magic stuff or they were unhappy in their relationships uh because italian men in the 40s you know and or they were just gullible and they'd go along with this without realizing what was happening, which is the most fucked up, <laughs> is that these guys would get the women to take out a double indemnity insurance policy on their husbands and then get them to poison their husbands. And for some, they'd say it was like a love potion, right? Like, oh, just sprinkle some of this in his food and he'll love you better. <sighs> Ooh. It's, it's dark. And they did this uh, estimated 114 deaths, all in Philadelphia, all Italian or Italian-American, all this insurance scam. And the way they got caught was there were some undercover cops involved with, like, some of these guys. And they, one of the, the cousins offered to pay them to like steal a car and hit a guy with it. He was like, you know, put a hit out on this guy. Mm-hmm. But then he's like, oh no, actually we took care of it. Like you guys don't need to do that job. So they went to see the guy and he was alive, but he was like bizarrely sick. And they're like, what the fuck is happening? And then they like, he died in the autopsy and it was arsenic. <laughs> and yeah, not a fun way to go. Like, what did what happened to them then? Like, did they get life in prison? Or it's, I surely they just moved to a different county. <laughs> right, exactly. They went to North different, a different really diocese. Uh, but that 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 one guy who was poisoned there, where it sort of all came to a head, he mm-hmm. died after being admitted to the National Stomach Hospital. And I like that that's like what hospitals were named back then. It was a much simpler time. It wasn't yeah, some like stomach. Health, like private healthcare conglomerate. It was just like, oh yeah, stomach. 
<laughs> right? Like, oh, what's wrong with him? Like, I don't know. It's a stomach thing. Like, hey, take him to the stomach hospital. You got the ear hospital, the stomach yeah. hospital. He, the, he gets there and they're like, oh, this is actually a small intestine problem. You're going to need to go across town. Yeah, Sorry, dumper. pal. <laughs> Get your dumper looked at. <laughs> Uh, and so, yeah, that it's an extremely fucked up sort of story. It deserves a movie or maybe a podcast. Yeah, we could do. Um, we, you want to do a hard journalistic podcast? Yeah, should we do some like deep dive research? Go to the library and see what we can find. Yeah, we could read a book. No, I want some microfish. Ah, microfish. They're a cool band. <laughs> Sorry, it's four twenty. Anyway. <sighs> Uh, what's up with you, Nick? Oh, well, me. Um, me. Me. I don't know. Little old you. Old me. Well, last night I made a nice smoked meatloaf with all the fixins. I made biscuits. I made Brussels sprouts, uh, asparagus, scalloped taters. See, this is Nick trying to, um, you know, back himself away from the forgetting about our recording time by stressing just how much... How much he was doing. I, I don't mean to lay on, but I also did a half marathon yesterday, so. Is yeah. that true? On a bicycle, but yes. <laughs> it was actually a little short of a half marathon. You don't really get to call it that. It's <laughs> on a bicycle. It was like 12.86 miles. Yeah, it's like, oh, dude, I did an ultrathon the other day. It's like, yeah, I drove up to New York. <laughs> and back. It was pretty wild. But aside from all of my activities that keep me too busy to record this podcast, um, three big things that have come up for me. Crip Camp. It is uh, a... That feels insensitive to no, someone. I'm not sure who yet. I don't understand what um, films about gay gang members, why could that be offensive? Oh, that is what the... Okay. It's actually... That's it's a, a good title. title. It's a documentary about a disabled person's camp in like the 60s and 70s and like all the people that went there and like the everyone that sprouted out of it, like so many activists and stuff. And like a lot of them had stayed friends over the years. And it's really, really good. The music is- Is there a gay gang member movie? Probably. Well, you could argue most of John Waters' movies are gay gang member movies, to some degree or another. But yeah, so it's just a great documentary, great music, the people are great, it's like such a touching story and like it shows you like real sides of handicapped people. Like there's a woman who has, I think it was cerebral palsy and she like, she has a hard time speaking but she can talk and she's talking about how like she went to college for like women's lit and like all this stuff and she had an affair with a bus driver and got chlamydia from him. Sick. Just like a crazy hippie person and it's great. All these people are fantastic. And do we get like footage from the 60s? Oh yeah, there's a lot of, there was a lot of recording going on at the camp, like people with cameras of their own and people that worked at the camp. So there's a lot of video of them back then and then that intercut with them now. Oh, that sounds great. Yeah, there's one guy who's in a wheelchair. He like, he loved the Grateful Dead. He wanted to be a sound designer for them and he works at like a playhouse is now doing sound and stuff. And oh. it's just for me, it shows you where everybody is now. It's just real touching. It's like a good, like, it'll make you cry a little kind of maybe documentary. Big fan. Big fan. Also... Yeah. I watched High Fidelity again. It's been a long time. Real good movie. I just watched this series, so I wanted to like check back and see what was similar, what was different. That was cool. How's it hold up? Yeah, I think it's really good. I really enjoyed it. I think he's kind of a 
he's kind of a dick sometimes, but you know, we all have made bad choices dating as young people. It happens. Zoe, uh, not Zoe Kravitz's mom is in it. That's pretty cool. Jack Black's there. I'm a fan. Who's Zoe Kravitz's mom? Um, I don't remember her name. She's like, it's interesting. I didn't realize she was in the original one and then Zoe Kravitz played Rob in the new series. Uh, Lisa Bonet. Yeah, that's right. Also, um, oh, what's his face? Shawshank Redemption. Tim Robbins is in it and he plays like a real creepy, like, new age. You should have said, what's his face? Shortcuts. I'm sorry. But he has a ponytail. He's like basically, um, that karate guy. What's his face? Um, Bruce Lee. No, like white guy ponytail. He's really heavy. He like does. Uh, Jean Claude Van Damme. No, uh, Steven Seagal. That's it. Yeah, he's like very Steven Seagal vibes. And Tim he's Robbins. A, yeah, in the movie, it's great. It's what? like like multiple okay. people say like that guy's a nightmare, and I'm like, yeah, <laughs> he seems like it. <laughs> okay, last we will get a little Zoe Kravitz uh, with Dern. True. We got that. Or, or am I lying? Or was that a big little lie? Was that a pretty little lie? <laughs> it's a different thing. She's not in that one. Alrighty. So I'm a big fan of Americana. I love old timey stuff. It like, is probably the best Outcast album. It's not bad. Outcast. Damn it, no. Although it's such a good joke and I biffed it. Uh, offspring. It's happened. such a good Offspring album. But like. I love the Carousel of Progress. Can we just redo that one? Just, okay, let's go back. Okay, ready, cut. So you just said the Americana thing, and then cut, we'll jump back in right here. It's such a good Offspring album. Oh my God, that's such a good joke, Max. <laughs> Thanks, and it was just sharp and immediate. Came Man, to me yeah. like that. You can't, you can't buy timing like that. But uh, yeah. Carousel of Progress, I love it. I love that like old timey, like, ah, oh, back in my, back in, Back here in 1906, we have a new icebox, like that kind of stuff. I love it. And I just read Our Town for the first time. Is a great play. Say something. No, I haven't. I'm just happy you read no, it. It I seems like something you love. I thought your sound cut for a second. But yeah, I loved it a lot. I love the whole idea of like there being almost no set. I love the stage manager kind of like telling the story and like adding details from past and future. I just thought it was really cool the way they did everything. It reminded me like a lot of movies I like a lot. And of course, like the Carousel Project aesthetic. Carousel of Progress aesthetic. I don't know. It was really good. I enjoyed it. Good. I'd like to read it. Yeah. It's, if you want it. I can a, a Thornton it. Wilder? Yes. A very much indeed Thornton Wilder. Mm-hmm. He also wrote the, the... He wrote... I think it was... He wrote the pl- either the play or the novel that um, Hello, Dolly was based on. Way to go, Thornton. Good for him. He too got tapped on a hot tin roof. Is that a one? I oh, he did the bridge of San Luis Rey, the mm. skin of our teeth. I was always much more of a um <laughs> he looked like a nerd. His like <laughs> Yale college graduation photo. What a poindexter. Nineteen twenty Dorcas Thornton Wilder. Who wrote Barefoot in the Park? Oh, that's a thing I've heard of. Um, Neil Simon, I think. Simon Cowell, yeah. He, there was a huge old play section in my high school library, and I read every Neil Simon play we had, because I was just in love with him in high school. 
Nice. I'm cool. I'm a cool kid. Always have been. Always will be. Were did you were you a theater kid? Like, did you perform oh, yeah. or? I was involved yeah. in theater, and I was also like a book kid. I spent a lot of time in the library. Librarian like gave me a bunch of stuff. She gave me one of our high school's old laser disc players when I was leaving because she was like, "We don't need it. You'll appreciate <laughs> She's like, it." Like you're kind of a hipster. <laughs> every, you should have every, this. Every like three months, we would do a book order, and she would just give me like a slot of three books to fill, and I could just pick whatever I wanted. It was kind of incredible. That's awesome. She was like a crazy Jesus freak lady, but she loved me for some reason. Really? Yeah, she was like it's an old... because you're, you're wholesome, Nicholas. She was super, like, anti-government and stuff. She had a pet squirrel at one point in her life. Did she, she how does she feel about the siege at Ruby Ridge? I don't think I ever asked, but I'm sure she would have had words about it. I think it wasn't even... I don't know. She had all kinds of weird beliefs. Is I she currently know. protesting? I have no idea. I would imagine not... She's, like, kind of crazy, but she's educated enough, I think, to understand, like, you know. Can we have her on? I don't have contact with her. I haven't for a while. I used, I actually, I unfriended her on Facebook because she would just post so much, like, what, like, uh, if cringy, iffy things. Mm, I don't remember. I'm going to need you to get that friendship back, Nick. I'll, I'll work on it. I'll, I'll do some work. I'll do some field work. Alrighty, pal. I think it's about time for a little dern. Little dern. This one, short and sweet. We got goose. Goose. Um, if you're listening at home, pause this. Search for goose on was it, Amazon Prime. It's six minutes long. And it was I lovely. I actually did not watch it, unfortunately, but I'm going to as soon as I watched done. your entire feature-length film. <laughs> and I just spared six, six minutes for an adaptation, a scholastic adaptation of a touching children's book. Max, this relationship has been over for years. <laughs> are, are you Salma Hayek? I'm just staying with you for the kids. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't tell me we had kids. Eh. <laughs> goose goose so it opens yeah with like the production slides or whatever and it's scholastic like the books like goose. scholastic like book fair i'm like all right goose it's from like 2006 maybe and it's based on the 1996 book goose by molly bang who is a three-time caldecott medal medal runner-up yeah, <laughs> always the bridesmaid. <laughs> um, Calico was big. You remember the, like the books would have the oh yeah the like embossed seal. Hey, she she uh three she, nominations. That ain't bad. That movie money. Oh yeah, <laughs> she made a clean two grand off that deal. <laughs> <laughs> and this is uh, a short film. It's beautifully animated. I wish I were good at describing things with my words, but I'm not. Let me go give this a look. Goose. Goose. And if you look at the book, it's like, I think it's similar animation. That would be yes. the book. The book illustration looks like it's animated version of that. It's really nice. It's like a beautiful, very pleasant, detailed um, outdoor. It's all outdoors. And it's a story about, there's a, a goose, a Canadian goose, Nicholas, 
Wait, are you sure you didn't mean the um, 2013 gay short film called Heel Goose? Oh, that actually makes a lot more sense. That's what you're supposed to watch instead? Yeah. Oh, well. Well, talk about the movie you watched instead. Okay, yeah. So this one was, did you say Heel Goose? Yeah, it's like H-E-A-L Goose. I'll send you the picture. Oh, it's Hail Goose? Like Hail Hitler? No, Heel. H-E-A-L. I think it's H-E-I-L. That is sick. (laughs) Okay. Well, we can watch that for your birthday. Maybe. (laughs) We'll see. I'm still thinking. So, Nick, let me tell you, since you don't know the story, uh, let me tell you about Goose. I got nothing. So there was a goose that laid some eggs in a storm. Oh. And it was so stormy, and one of those eggs went to tumbling, <gasps> went to tumbling down the hill. And it ended up in like a den of woodchucks. Woodchucks? And then it hatched. Right outside. Yeah, rub it in. You're out in the woods. He's woody. He's great. He eats lettuce. My backyard woods where I can bike half marathons. I can. With my woodchuck friends. Right we get it. <laughs> my, my woodland yeah, creep quarantine <laughs> you're quarantining with woodland critters sometimes i sleep in his hole <laughs> so the the goose is raised by woodchucks and thinks it's a woodchuck and this oh. leads to like cute moments where the woodchucks are like digging holes and they're very good at it because it's what they do and the goose is like Digging, but like very like you'd expect a goose to try to dig a hole. It's very cute. Um, and they taught, so it's not just cute and it's not just pretty. It's also got a message. And they taught this goose. They taught her. There's a quote. Oh, and it's narrated by Laura Dern. And she's got a great like children's nice like PBS style narrator voice. I she, feel like, like I want more of. Her, like, given voice, I feel, is very good for, like, an audiobook kind of thing. Yes. It's, like, a very listenable voice that isn't, like, too... Yes, it's very nice, and especially, like, a children's book that's, like, easy, but also, like, beautiful. It's... Her voice is perfect for it. She is easy and beautiful. She's easy and just just how I like them. (laughs) She Um, is not breezy. I want to make that very clear. I don't love women. I love woodchucks. That is a, an official Dern After Reading podcast stance, as well as... It's, the it's canon. That's how we as a podcast feel. We, one, do not love women. Two, we do love woodchucks. We do, and that's going to be a shirt. Mark my words. <laughs> anyway, so what's the message? Um, the message is, don't kill yourself if you're a goose that uh, <laughs> is raised by woodchucks. Actually, try to kill yourself because you're depressed, because you feel different. Um, so walk up a hill. So the goose gets really sad. Yeah, uh, yeah. Because the goose, even though the woodchucks are trying their best, it just feels different. It knows it's like not, it's something's going on. It feels different. And it's so sad and so distraught that it's walking and not paying attention to where it's going and walks right off a cliff and falls and begins to tumble. And as it tumbles through the air, then begins a flapping 
and flapping its wings. And it's here that the goose discovers that the goose can fly. Whoa. Oh, and there's also this really cute bit where the goose gets caught in some ivy. <laughs> it's just like a goose getting tangled in a bunch of ivy. And it's nice. So I guess the lesson is that if you are really depressed, jump off a cliff because you'll learn how to fly. That was absolutely the message. These are really the messages we need right now in these times of <laughs> struggle. And yeah, no, it was nice. And it was very much a, you know, if you feel different, it's okay to feel different. It doesn't mean you won't shine. It wasn't, won't mean you won't fly. Maybe you're a goose. It's just like the ugly duckling, but with woodchucks. Yeah, but the ugly duckling, like, all right. I, there's a great quote from a, a classic internet webcomic, A Softer World. Mm -hmm. And it is, I wonder if the ugly duckling felt like an asshole when it grew up to be pretty and realized it didn't solve any of its problems. Ooh. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> Hitting it hard with that. Yeah, I'll have to dig that one up. We'll, we'll post it on, post it on the uh, the Instagram. Oh, that there Instagram. Um. Oh, but I want to right because this is like a very short little darn. So I wanted to use this opportunity to pad my time a little bit by oh, asking you, Nicholas, what is your favorite children's book? Oh, well, I mean. The Warren Report was always up there for me. Nick, don't be an asshole. I'm asking for sincerity here. We uh, got to give it to the listeners sometimes. Was always what? a fan of the Anarchist Cookbook. You, you know, what? drop it right now. Give me some Seuss. Give me and some Shel Silverstein. I'm my mother. Ready. And I swear to God, Nick is now holding a harmonica. If you play that harmonica on our podcast, we are done. <laughs> I swear to God, Nick is now holding a harmonica. What a pull quote. Um, I did enjoy Dr. Seuss. I was a big, big, huge fan of Shel Silverstein. I loved him. I had all of his books. Uh, every book I have is his, of his is like worn, ragged. It has Aww. like little stains and like has my name in it because I would always bring them to school and read do, them. Do you have like a favorite poem? Um, it's been so long since I've been in his stuff, but I don't know. I really like his lyric work. Like his, he wrote songs for a lot of people, including himself, Johnny Cash. Boy named Sue. Exactly. Yeah, a great Which makes song. so much sense. It's like, oh yeah, that would be a show so for He had a great song that he performed called um, I Got Stoned and I Missed It. <laughs> yeah. I don't know that one. This Day of All is an incredible song. Yeah. But yeah, I don't know. I just, I really love the illustrations. I need to look back and see what kind of reread. I mean, I have the time, but. Oh, they're still wonderful. Oh yeah. They're, they're all very funny and sharp. I was always a fan of the title poems. They were always pretty good, like Falling Up, Runny Babbitt. Um, Where like, the Sidewalk Ends. Exactly. The Giving Tree. I was going to say that's also like a standalone book I enjoy. And I always liked his picture on the back because he just looks so cartoony like an uncle. Yeah. Like oh, bald, yeah. He had that thick beard just like being Yeah, tall. and he was like... It was only somewhat later in life that it, it was just like, oh, this dude's like a, just like a straight up hippie, or <laughs> like a, maybe like, not even a hippie, like a beatnik or something. Like for Playboy for years, like he yeah. was like, founded it and worked for them for like almost his whole life. Yeah, and he was big in like drug culture. He had like a bunch of cool like friends. Yeah, it's like this dude fucking rules. 
He's Honestly. like that bald and like big beard look. He looks badass. He's, he's always got like buttoned up shirts, not quite buttoned all the way up because he's cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sometimes he looks really like fun and other times he looks like he will fuck you up. He looks real crazy in some pictures, like on yeah. purpose, but like just his facial expressions get insane. Yeah, this guy look like if you saw this dude like outside of a bar in like a bad neighborhood, you'd be very like he looks like he could just fucking but beat also, you a pup. He looks like he might own a nice inn in Vermont and he would be wearing a nice flannel and he'd cook you a nice breakfast. Nah, he looks cooler than that. I know, but one can dream. No, he looks like a badass. That's what I'm saying. I want to tell you my favorite children's book. Go for it. Um, have you ever read Walk Two Moons by Sharon Creech? Not that I know of, but I definitely could have. Man, I so I read this book in fourth grade, mm-hmm. Mr. Beerweiler's class, and... I loved it. And it was my favorite, at the time, it was my absolute favorite book. And as an adult, I couldn't for the life of me, I remembered nothing. I had no idea what it was about, but I remembered that I absolutely loved it. And then about two years ago, my friend had it on her bookshelf. And I was like, can I borrow that? Like, I want to reread that. And it is once more one of my absolute favorite books. It is It is one, I know there probably aren't many children listening. If you are, what's up? That's fucking cool. Keep <laughs> on listening. Or you don't tell them what you do. And either way, I support Yeah, you are my favorite listener. But if, if even if you are not a child. So go to mommy and daddy's checkbook. That's a book full of paper and you need to write Big number on it. Sign your name, sign their name, it doesn't matter, and mail it to Nick, them. Mommy and Daddy have Venmo accounts now. Oh, yeah. Just go into Mommy and Daddy's purse, grab any pills, money, if they have a handgun, and send it all to us. Get the sweet baby blues. Hair of Dern after reading. <laughs> hey, kid, if your parents like ketamine, just grab that, too. <laughs> Man, our fan mail is going to get weird and also exist. <laughs> Hey, kids, do mom and dad sit on the couch a lot? <laughs> anyway, for all our listeners, Walk Two Moons, even if you're not a child, is such a good fucking book. And it is. Now I know what it's about. Now I remember. It's about a young girl. She's 13. Uh, she's, uh, it's a Midwest travel story. She travels from Ohio to Idaho with her eccentric grandparents. I and it has... It is written in ways that are um, very accessible to children, but one thing I absolutely love is that it has very real themes that would be considered adult themes that, like, children should not be hidden from and don't necessarily need, like, kid gloves to address, but addresses them in a way that, like, so to speak, uh, addresses them in a way that's, like, really beautiful and honest and doesn't feel like it's pulling some bullshit. And it's about death and depression and struggle. And there's one bit where the, the grandparents talk about their relationship and they're just these references to the, there was one period of time back in the day where, you know, they were, they had 
their own struggles with each other and grandpa got on grandma's nerves and grandma had to go spend some time with the milkman for a couple weeks before she realized to go back with grandpa. You just hop on the truck early in the morning. Yeah, and it's like, hey, that's life. That's the way it goes sometimes, right? They they could be characters in shortcuts. Sometimes you got to screw the milkman. That's true. (sighs) And uh, it's, it's lovely. It's like, I absolutely cried. And it's beautiful, it's touching, it's fun. It's obviously a fairly quick read. You can get through it in a couple hours. And it's amazing. And it is a Newberry Medal winner. Took it home. Sharon Creech on top. Sorry, Molly Bang. Sorry, Goose Lady. Wow, no mercy. Creech got it done. Creech, 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 Creech. Drops my pen. I also really like the Lorax. Lorax is good. I was always, there was always a few Dr. Seuss things. And they had like, there were a few that had like videos you could get that were pretty much, they were like a choppy, it was like a choppy animation style of like the verbatim like drawings by Dr. Seuss. Okay. Yeah. VHS upstairs at my parents' house. Really? I think it's like the Starbelly Sneetches definitely did one. Cat in the Hat definitely did one. I think Sam I Am had one. Oh, Starbelly Sneetches, the racism one. That was a, that's a really good story. I love that one. It is. Something, another unrelated book that I very much enjoyed as a child was Hugo. Hugo. I, tell us about Hugo, Nick. It's like 600 pages and it's almost all illustration. It's like a graphic novel, but there's pretty much only one panel per page. There's some words, but very few. There was a movie um, by Martin Scorsese based on the book. That's how I know it. And it's like a, bo- like a homeless boy who lives in a train station and he tinkers with objects and is like, I think he lives with his grandfather maybe and his grandfather dies or something like that. And it's this whole story about like him finding keys to like secret hidden things. And he, he fixes like, the automaton robot things that like you would wind them and they would like do a really intricate motion. And it like, it deals with a lot of imagery of like um, the rocket to the moon video, like with the rocket in the eye on the moon face, it deals with that famous train crash. And the, the full title for those at home, the film was called Hugo. The the book is called the invention of Hugo Cabret. Okay. That's it. But yeah, it's just really neat and has some great imagery and it's about like some really like a lot of like pointed out things that I feel became important for me later, like older photography and like old film and stuff like that. Yeah, no, that that's wonderful. And what you, I'm sure you'll be unsurprised to learn about it, Caldecott Metal Winner. We are dropping education bombs over here. All we do is win. Love children's literature that wins no matter what. All we do is win medals for kids' books. Yeah. Sorry, Molly Bang. Got Fourth time's the charm. <laughs> Goose 2, the re-goosing. Goose 2. Goose 2, it's going down. Speaking of Goose 2, do you want to know what you're watching next week? <laughs> Is it Heel Goose? No, it's Grizzly 2, the concert. I beg your pardon? So both of our picks for next week sound incredible. You're watching a sequel to a cult horror movie. It's called Grizzly 2, The Concert. It's a 1987 uh, Harley Sheen-led film. 
It looks incredible. I'm gonna Ugh. watch. And you know what I get to watch? What? The Three Wishes of Billy Grier. It's a 1984 TV movie about a rapidly aging teen who wants to find his dad, make love to a woman, and play in a jazz band before he dies. Holy shit. Right? This is going to be... Jackpot! I'm amazed that you just kept this this close to the vest the whole time. I honestly, when I read both descriptions, I was like, this is going to be a banner week for us. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. It's, oh my! It's a lot. I don't know what to say. I'm overwhelmed. This is fantastic. This is what oh. I've been waiting for. We have watched so many bad movies. <laughs> this is why we do this. We do this for the one week every two months where we get to both watch something nice. I've loved so many of my movies. No, I have too, but there's been a lot of not great ones. I liked Goose a lot. Eat the fuckers. <laughs> yeah, let's. You had to watch the bloopers for that David Lynch movie. Oh god. Yeah. Uh, Grizzly to the concert. Well, I'm so intrigued. I, the I Grizzly so... two. It's like sequel to a Jaws ripoff that's about a bear instead of a shark. <laughs> Dope. But it's Grizzly two, the concert. And it really is makes... it like, like a, a teddy bear picnic motif, like like a violent teddy bear picnic. Is it? Like a dancing bear on a, on a ball. Of, wait, I don't know. Never mind. What was that? I was trying to think of the name of that movie. Prom Night 2. The Revenge of Something Lou. Peggy Lou. I don't know. Yeah. Peggy it Sue. really did matter. It was Peggy Sue. I think so. I know uh, Nate, our mutual acquaintance, used to be really into that movie. Really? Yeah, he's not into it anymore? What was that? He's not into it anymore. He just went through a prom night to the revenge of Peggy Sue phase. Who's to say? It happens to all of us. We all, we all must visit the undertaker. All right. I'm going to stop the, you have the harmonica in your hand again. So I'm just going to end it now.